Welcome to the Kupinga Kohl Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinwart. I'm Lead Advisor and Senior Analyst at Kupinga Kohl Analysts. My guest today, again, is Annie Bailey. We'll continue a discussion that we started in the most recent episode. She is my colleague here at Kupinga Kohl, working as an analyst for emerging technologies. Hi, Annie. Hi, Matthias. I'm happy to be back. Great to have you back, and I'm happy that we can continue our discussion around cybersecurity landscape and the work-from-home scenarios that we've been living in. And when we look at the uh, year 2020, this was really a year of extremes. To many, it seemed like the whole world was working from home, so at least everybody who was able to do so. Um, was that really true? Yeah, so it's it's interesting to um, from where we are now to look back and and really understand what was the reality of 2020 and working from home. So we can say it was a global phenomenon. So more people work from home around the world than ever before. So if we can get some ballpark figures, a global average, but in 2019, employees who worked from home at least some of the time, typically one to two days a week was under 10% globally. In 2020, this jumped up to 30 to 40%. So from here, we can say, no, it, the whole world, 100% um, of the population was not working from home. It was only 30 to 40% of um, the employed population. But this increase did occur globally. But we have to, again, balance <laughs> balance these numbers with the reality of the world. So only about 35% of jobs in developed countries are compatible with working from home. And so when we know this, then we can say that a huge majority of those who could work from home did. And we could even go so far to say is that uh, there's probably a lot of people who couldn't really work from home well. So those jobs that were not entirely compatible with working from home probably still had to. Teachers are a good example of this. Um, that's a job which would not be considered compatible with working from home in 2019. However, in 2020, that is um, an absolute reality. Right. Are there differences between uh, different parts of the world, the EU and the US or EU and US and APEC? Are there other figures around that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, in the EU, um, it was averaged that about 40% of EU citizens was working from home in early 2020. Um, that's reduced a bit um, by the end of 2020. Now in, in April of 2021, that's back up again. So these numbers are always fluctuating. In the U.S., this was lower. This was about 25 to 30 percent of U.S. citizens were working from home in early 2020. Around the world, this is, of course, really dependent on the types of jobs that are available. These numbers are, are much higher in those knowledge economies, less high in, in areas where physical presence is more required to work or for your employment, internet connections. This is also access to laptops or computers at home also really affected the, these numbers. Right. 
uh, as we are talking right now, we are using platform systems that were not as important as they are right now. So there have been changes around the systems that we use, the platforms that we use. Some are really getting less important, but other really grew in that time. So what was happening to these platforms during this change towards work from home? What, what has happened with collaboration, with gaming, with, yeah, with just internet connections? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the home is the center of our worlds at the moment. This is the place where we are all day, all night in our, for many of us, for during the working hours, during the school hours, and for the free time. So the home is the, the center of it all. And so at home, people were using collaboration platforms. So things like Microsoft Teams, Zoom, WebEx, all grew at incredible levels. Um, Zoom grew over a thousand percent. And in fact, they added more users between January and February of 2020 than they did in all of 2019. So just massive growth in these types of platforms. And so these platforms were of course used a lot by employees, but also for students. And this is a population that shouldn't be ignored. There were in March, of 2020, um, the World Economic Forum estimated that 80% of all grade school students um, were at home globally. And so this is over 1.6 billion kids. And so with this, some were doing distance learning, others were not. So those who did have access to internet connections, to devices, to teachers who were able to teach um, remotely. They were also using platforms like Microsoft Teams or Zoom or Slack to continue with their education. Right. And this is something that I see in my daily life as well. So my, my daughter is living here with me in the same home and she is studying at university. And the only time that she has to go there is for actually um, doing the exams. Everything else is done remotely and using all those platforms that you've mentioned. So it's Slack, it's it's Teams, it's it's uh, Zoom. So yeah, this really works also for most of the um, online learning, including university. Where else have we seen some, some changes? Mm -hmm. uh, social media was uh, a place where many, many, many spent more of their time than they have previously. And so... If we look at the US, there's about 72% consumption increase of social media. So this is just an enormous jump over 2019. We could look at different geographies here. In the UK, TikTok users increased by 139% in 2020. In Germany, we could look at Facebook. There was a 16% increase in Facebook, but a 33% in Instagram users. Um, so all over the world, it varied in in the amount of uh, additional time people were spending on social media, but this was a global uh, phenomenon. People everywhere were spending more time on these platforms. Right. And if we look at the way how we communicate also uh, within families, within the communities, within, with friends and, and family in general, I think um, video calls have, have taken over really the role of meeting in person for many people. Does this reflect on figures as well? Absolutely. So the people are feeling incredibly isolated, worried about family members, friends, 
And so they did turn to video calls and messenger apps. If we look at the, the global internet traffic, if we consider WhatsApp, over 12% of all traffic is attributed to WhatsApp in 2020. And so that's just an incredible amount and volume that is only being spent on messaging. And uh, uh, if we look at the, the percentage increase over 2019, about 20 to 30% more time was spent on messengers than in 2019. So this is really where people chose to go for connecting with people and finding that community and connection, which they had lost. Right. And any other services you've mentioned last time also video gaming. I think I'm not really the age um, and the target group for, for video gaming, but I think um, there was more spare time staying at home. Does that reflect there as well? Yeah. Either more spare time or more stress and people look for a way to cope. But globally, there was about um, 20 to 30 percent more time on Uh, video gaming sites or playing um, internet-connected video games. So again, like a very, very strong and stark increase over 2019. Streaming services, the the Netflix and the Disney Pluses, also saw very strong um, increases over 2019, varying degrees from country to country. Over 40% in the U.S. increased. In the U.K., the increase was about 32%. In Germany, about 20%, but again, across the board, much more time was spent on streaming services and watching shows and movies than before. So in general, we can see people in general, that is employees, citizens, children, more not only working from home, but using online devices for various purposes. So if we try to, to fetch our crystal and try to make some predictions for what will be going on in the future. Do we have some, some expectations beyond today and beyond 2021 maybe, or at least starting with um, the second half of 2021? Um, will that change? And what does this mean for security implications? What security topics are we going to look at for the future, for the near and the far future? Yes, this insight that we have on what is going on in the home in connection with how people are using their internet connected devices, how they're connecting to their corporate networks. All of this information that we've talked about today is going to have some pretty strong security implications for enterprises. And so keeping in mind the way that people are turning to streaming services for entertainment, to um, Wi-Fi supported messengers for community, um, going to social media for um, entertainment, this does impact the corporate network. Um, and my colleague Shika will get into this, I believe, next week. But on the topic of network security, there are far more security challenges because of the distributed IT landscape, because employees are using many different devices, perhaps their own devices, perhaps a spouse's device, perhaps a, a company issued one on their home network. It's complicated by the use of VPNs, that there are many more endpoints that the corporate network has to deal with and protect even when they are employee-owned. So these types of risks will really have to be focused on and mitigated intentionally. And so we're going to see security strategy changing 
um, or at least intentionally focusing on these types of topics so that people can continue to work from home as needed as the pandemic develops and hopefully comes to a close. Right. And if I think back also to the history of this podcast, in a very early episode uh, I did with our colleague uh, Martin Kuppinger, we talked about the way how data should be protected um, when it comes to working from home. And to be honest, all of us, we were very casual, to say it the least, when it came to dealing with, with critical, with sensitive corporate data accessed from home devices. Um, this needs to change, I think. There, there needs to be a stronger protection of, of data, of information in general. Would you agree? Absolutely. There's been a, a big focus on collaboration, on enabling collaboration so that employees who would typically work on projects in the same room with each other could now do that from their own homes. That's gotten a lot of, of headlines and, and attention in 2020, but you're exactly right. Collaboration can only happen if we are securely and intentionally protecting the data we're working with on all of those different devices as we're collaborating with our partners, um, with external customers. This is uh, a topic which really needs to have a higher priority in 2021. Right, and we've talked about the percentage of people who are able of working from home and who can really do that. And obviously office People, IT people are in the situation that they can do this. And this includes the administrators. So those who have access to the critical, to the sensitive systems, to critical and sensitive and privileged accounts. So privileged users will also still be the ones who are working from home. So there should be some scrutiny applied here as well to protect them from doing something wrong or inappropriate manner. Um, so privileged access management is also a topic for work from home, right? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So it's it's um, perhaps even more important as the the IT environment becomes a little more layered, um, a little more difficult to get a good overview on. And so those privileged users who are also likely working from home should have the support of of privilege access management to keep things better in line and, and protect their accounts as well. And we also know that they are individuals. Each one of us is a is an um, individual person with their own life. And we've seen that uh, individuals were more susceptible to phishing attacks um, throughout the last year on their many devices. And so that, that remains a, a vulnerability for privileged users as well. Right. A topic that I did not consider to be as important in the beginning of the pandemic is something that really changed also in my perception. And that is um, resulting from the fact that we as Kuppinger Co., we are growing. We are employing new staff. We have new people on board. Shika, who will join me next week for the next episode of this podcast, started working with us uh, in the beginning of this year. So, How can we identify that the person who claims who he or she is really is who she claims or he claims to be? So we're talking about identity verification again, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so identity verification is really important at the moment because 
we're not seeing each other face to face and those normal processes of checking somebody's identity, their documents, that they really are who they say they are is not possible. And so this goes for a huge range of use cases, but the situation of needing to hire a new employee in the midst of a pandemic when nobody can meet in person, I think is very, very tangible and easy to understand why this is quite important. So being able to determine that a person's identity documents are valid, that they haven't been falsified, that they're in fact held by the owner, by the person that those documents describe, and being able to do that from a safe distance or in our case for Kupmir Cole, where we have analysts all over the world, being able to do that across borders and across oceans becomes very, very um, helpful and, and increases the security and the trustability, rather, of those relationships. Right. And I think that this will not change completely back to what we consider to be normal before the pandemic. So the the results and the and the lessons learned that we have right now will continue to be valid and will be um, expanded and extended over time. So that will not go back to the status quo ante. So we will be in this um, post-pandemic world as well in the future. So um, that was a great outlook into what will happen in the future, what are our current challenges and what will be our future challenges. Any final thoughts that you would like to add when it comes to looking at the security situation and the way that we are working for the next, say, 12 months? Yeah, well, I know everybody has their own um, opinion and, and has been affected by the pandemic differently, but this is also an opportunity. And so being able to identify these security weaknesses or these, these areas which require growth, especially for a different context and a, a different status quo, as you, as you said very well, um, this is an opportunity to uh, strengthen the systems that we already have in place. So I'd prefer to take an optimistic outlook and hopefully we won't have to wonder how long this pandemic will continue. Right. And for those of our audience who are interested in learning more, um, as you are the analyst for emerging technologies, I know you have written quite some, some research around that topic that we are just currently talking about. Um, so there should be something available at kupikacole.com, something you would like to recommend? Yeah, if you're interested in identity verification and wondering you know, how, how this can support security and, and, and improving security in, in this world of remote work. There's a market compass you could take a look at. Um, in the future, I'll be publishing a report on secure data protection for collaboration. So these topics will be up and coming. And there's a series on emerging technologies and how these uh, different types of technologies, blockchain, AI, IoT, digital identity support digital transformation. So there's quite a bit for you to read. Um, so go over to KC Plus if you would like to learn more. Perfect. Thank you very much. So kupingacole.com is the place to go right after listening to this podcast episode. Thank you very much, Annie, for laying the ground for the next episode also from with, uh, with Shika, where she will look at network security, zero trust as a solution uh, for the time being. Thank you very much, Annie, for being my guest today and for sharing your insights. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Bye. 